as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word, and we have spent time in your word in previous times together. We have worked from Romans chapter 1 to this place, and we have heard difficult words about ourselves and who we are, that we are separated from you by our sinfulness, that we are fallen and that we struggle to know the right thing to do and we struggle to do the right things because we love ourselves more than we love you. And we've heard that bad news. But we have also heard the good news and we've heard it in great detail about how you sent your son to take sin upon himself so that those who look to him in faith could receive your righteousness after confessing their sins and believing in Christ as our substitute. And so we thank you for forgiveness, and we thank you for declaring that we are righteous in your sight with your very own righteousness. We thank you that you have made us part of your plan and what you are doing in the world, and we thank you that you've called us to lives of significance. And now we pray as we continue to look at the scriptures, as we look at what we are to do now that we are believers, how we're to apply ourselves, how we're to, uh, to, to present ourselves as living sacrifices, and how we're to, to bring ourselves to you for our minds to be renewed. I pray that we would keep our focus on the work that you have done for us, and that you would keep our focus on living lives of grateful obedience. Not obedience to earn something from you, but because you have given us something that we could never earn, we in turn say thank you. And we obey out of respect and honor and gratitude because we are thankful for what you've given us in Christ. Father, I pray that we would seek to strike this incredibly important balance as we begin considering transformation. May we see ourselves as one, as an individual, but then also see ourselves as one in your body as one connected to many. We ask that you would help us, encourage us, help us to continue to, to lay aside those things that distract and cause us to stumble and to get comfortable with our life and help us to run this race with endurance as we look to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Since uh, 1958, the Lego Corporation has been manufacturing plastic bricks. Uh, not bricks that you would use to build real buildings, right? But bricks that children and adults use to manufacture uh, smaller buildings and vehicles and things of 
of all kinds. Uh, I find it interesting that Lego is always presented in the plural when people are talking about them, right? The product is called Lego, you know? You, you buy something from the Lego Corporation, right? It is, it is discussed as a, a, a singular. But when people talk about them, they call them Legos, right? Because parents, though they love the creativity and the expression that their, that their children are uh, displaying when they use them, there are hundreds of them if you've got Legos, right? If, you're, if your kids are into Legos or you are into Legos and your mom on one visit uh, <laughs> carpet bombs you with all your old Legos, right? You suddenly have lots of them in your house. Think about this. The Lego Corporation has manufactured more than 400 billion bricks. That means that every single human being on the planet could have 62 of them, all right? And, and certain families have them in greater concentration, right? I, I filled a four-drawer uh, unit at our house and another one of those little you know, eight-drawer plastic things that you get at Walmart with Legos. And then we had to have a separate box for all the people pieces. Because after uh, Sam and Jack and Max had played with them, I thought Hank needs a fair shot at having like Legos that are at least organized. And so I spent probably two days just sorting through and putting you know, the heads in this piece and the hair here and just trying to get it all into working order. Uh, Lego at its heart is about creativity and it is about building, and it is about taking these individualized, specialized pieces and putting them together into something, building something. Nobody wants to play Lego, because having a singular brick is boring and dumb, right? You know, you want to play with all of the pieces and to put them together and to build them into something. There's a balance that we need to strike when we think about this. Each individual piece is important and has value and contributes something to the whole, but all of the bricks together are what builds the product, the fun, the joy. In the Christian life, it is very similar. We are not just living a life that is independent and is supposed to be devoted to God. We are supposed to devote our lives to God, and it is true. We are the only person who can control us. You are the only person that you can truly control. But we have been created as individuals to live out a relationship with God, but we've also been called into his grand mission, which is being executed according to his plan, his way, and we are called to live out that mission together. And so as Paul begins talking about living a transformed life and living a life that is influenced by the grace of God, it's important to note where he begins. He starts first by talking to the Romans. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and he appeals to them by the mercies of God. This is what you deserved, Romans 1, 1 to Romans chapter 3, right? We've seen what it is that human beings have, have accomplished. Judgment, sin, that's what we are bringing upon ourselves. And then we see the grace of God shown over and over and over again. Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, God showing his grace in many ways. And so Paul says, I appeal to you by God's mercies. Present your body as a living sacrifice. You have been redeemed if you have put your faith and trust in Christ. You have gone from being broken and fallen and disconnected from God to restored and healed and useful in God's sight if you have put your faith and trust in Christ. Ephesians says we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not saved by works, but created for good works that he has prepared beforehand for us. God has a use for us and a plan for us. And so in order for that to happen, we need to present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice. I give you my time. I give you my talent. And I give you my treasure. And that's not just our financial treasure. That's, we say, that's, we, when, that's us saying, I will let you use my goals and my desires and my dreams. I will let you rewrite the plot and the plan for my life because I know that you have been good to me. It's very interesting. If you look at uh, Romans chapter 6, I believe, where Paul says, you used to present the members of your bodies to sin, but now present them to the Lord. And the term that's, that's used there is translated a few different ways. One is instruments, right? Present your hands and your feet and your mouth to the Lord as instruments of righteousness. But it's also possible to translate that word the way that it is translated in other places, which is weapons. Uh, weapons are used in a battle to accomplish a specific purpose, and we are engaged in a spiritual war, not against other human beings, but against the powers that wage war within us, against the devil who would keep people trapped and in darkness, and against a world system that says we do not need God. And so God calls us to present our bodies to him as instruments, as tools, or as weapons in that war. We're also called to be renewed in our mind, to, to receive the truth and to allow the truth to transform us and to transform our perspective and our perception of things. If we think of ourself as the most important or as we think of ourselves as the most talented, or we think of someone else as less than us, or we think of, of, of our life as basically our own and God, you know, just kind of being there to bless us in the 3% of our life that we can't handle on our own. You know, maybe for some of us it's more like 72% of our life that we can't handle on our own, right? But, but we think of, of God as there basically for us. The scriptures are there to tell us that we, we should see differently, that we should think differently. If you've ever built with Legos with a, with a younger child, a lot of times what happens is, is I will put all the pieces out and I will become the piece finder, right? And so the kid is sitting on the opposite side of the table and I'm like lining up all the parts together and I'm like, no, don't touch that, don't touch this, you, know, you don't need that yet, you'll get that later, you know? And they're, they're there with the instruction book and they're putting the pieces together the way that the instruction book says. And once you hand that finished thing to them, right, just throw that book away because you will never find all those pieces ever again. Anyway, that's just a side comment. But what happens is, is often you'll go to help and you'll say, wait a minute, something's out of alignment here. It's not lining up right. It's messed up. And you look at the picture and then you've got to track back a couple steps. Take these pieces off. Reconfigure this or that. And now you're back on track. As believers, we're to receive the word, and sometimes the word says, you have wandered off the path. Sometimes the word says, you need to get back on the path, and here's the way you get back on the path. Sometimes the word says, you're doing well, just keep on going. So it's there to instruct us and to be a pattern for us, and we're to be renewed in our mind challenged and changed and transformed by it gradually. Now, how does this work out in our life? I think it's very interesting where Paul goes first. The first thing he addresses is how we view ourselves as individuals. How we think of ourselves. Uh, in, the, in the Lego analogy, this is the individual brick, right? You have what you would call the standard one by one Right? That is that, that single tiny little brick with the one dot on it and the space on the bottom. Right? And that is the essential building block for everything. Right? 
You go from there, things get more complicated. You get bigger bricks. You got antennas and little hatchets and hair, and you got uh, radar dishes and wings and all the stuff that you need to make cool stuff. But it all starts with that singular individual brick, right? How do we think about the Christian life and all that God is doing? We have to begin and connect with the idea that we are an individual. We are one, created and redeemed by God, but we ought to have a broader perspective on ourselves, other than just thinking, I am important, or I am me, I am the goal. God is, is for me, right? We need to move beyond that and think outside of ourselves and to think with God's perspective. This is what Paul says on the subject. He says, for by the grace given to me, I love how he qualifies that. He's like, look, look, guys, God's shown me grace, and he has called me to teach the church. And so because he's shown me grace and called me and, and, and given me these words to say, I'm just going to take that information and pass it on to you, right? Because he may say something that's really tough and touchy for some people, but he's saying it's coming, coming from God to you. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. By the grace given to me, I say to all of you, I say to everyone among you, this applies to every Christian that has ever existed everywhere and anywhere at any time. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. <clears throat> now here's the temptation, okay? First, the temptation might be that we would say, yes, you know, I tend to think of myself as good and valuable and worthy, and I shouldn't do that because I know that I'm just a scummy, rotten, horrific, terrible sinner. That's not what Paul's saying here. Look at what he's saying. I urge you, I say to everyone among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Okay? He's not saying don't think of yourself highly. He's not saying don't think of yourself as a person with value. But he's saying don't overvalue. Don't set the bar too high. The truth about what the scriptures teach is that every single human being is created with dignity and value and worth. Every single human being. What is man David says that you are mindful of him. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've, you've, the, the psalmist says when he considers the stars and the works of God's hand, he looks at all the big stuff in the universe, and then he says, wow, it is amazing that you think about us and care about us. Jesus says that the sparrows live their lives day to day at the permission of God, that he knows them. They are considered relatively low value in the human economy. This is what Jesus says, that two sparrows are sold for a penny. I don't know what you buy a sparrow for. Maybe, you know, I'm not exactly sure, but they sold them two for a penny. And so if you have a need for sparrows, you just, you know, you go, go get them. I don't, I don't know what they're for. But he says, not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father. He knows. And then Jesus will say just a verse or two later, you are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus will say, fear not, little flock. It is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Paul will say in Ephesians that that. That, that he wants the Ephesians to open their minds and hearts. He wants the spirit to work in their minds and hearts so that they will know what the glorious riches of God's inheritance in the saints is. It's a very strange sentence in English. But what Paul is saying is that when God receives the church and his redeemed people to himself, he counts himself as possessing something of great value. And you are part of that because you have great value in the eyes of God. While you were still a sinner, God desired to save you, right? There was all this talk when I was a kid, right? You know, got to save those Legos, 
you know, got to preserve them, maybe keep the original packages, keep the instructions, right? My brother would build a Lego thing, and he would put it on a shelf. Those shelves were so high because I was smaller, but we never touched them ever again. Why? Because someday they might be valuable. Now there are 400 billion Lego bricks, and, you know, they're not worth anything. Unless you want, like, minifigure Darth Vader, right? And you just want to order that. you got to pay, like, 100 bucks for that or something. It's crazy. Look them up on Amazon later, not right now. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. Nothing has any value unless somebody wants it, unless somebody desires it. Scripture says before we've done anything good, Christ died for us. Because God saw value. He valued. Not that there was anything worth redeeming in us, but... He said, I will save that one. And that establishes our identity. And so it is important that when I say what I'm about to say, that you don't think that I'm saying just hate yourself, right? You know, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Like I need to have a daily reminder every single morning where I say I am the worst of the worst, right? Like a demotivator. Have you ever seen those, um, those, those posters that are out there? They're the... They're the uh, sarcastic, dark version of the, the posters that you see that say, like, potential, you can do it, right? You know, there's one that says, um, it, it's, a, it's a picture of a ship that's sinking, and it says, uh, example. It says, your existence may only be to serve as a reminder to others what not to do. I love that. It's just, it's so funny. It makes me laugh. Um, and uh, there's another one that is a picture of a guy, and he's running, he's jogging, you know, like a, a landscape scene, and they're both there in silhouettes. And so the guy is jogging, and then there's a, a woman jogging as well, much farther, and it says, um, give up, right? And it says, she's gone, man. <laughs> it's just, they're funny. Anyway, the point is not that you would beat yourself up every single day and despair, but instead that you would not fly higher than you ought. Right? And think, I am deserving. I ought to be served. I am the center of the world. Somebody says there's a, a difference between cat theology and dog theology. Have you ever heard this? Uh, a, a dog says, you feed me, you care for me, you must be God. Right? A cat says, you feed me, you care for me, I must be God. <laughs> we have a dog. Um, anyway, the, the, the point here being we have to know who we are, and so we know that we have value, and we know that, that God loves us, but we ought not let that uh, uh, disable us from knowing what it is that we are for. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now, think of somebody who knew exactly who he was and who knew exactly what he had embodied himself for, exactly what he had come down to earth to do. And listen to his mind, his frame of mind. This is what the scriptures say in John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, okay? So here's Jesus' frame of mind. He came into the world to accomplish a mission. He knows that mission is about to happen. And he loved those whom he called to himself, and so he's going to love them fully. This is what the scripture says, John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a, a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus acts in a way, honestly, that every single time I read this passage, I think, if I knew that I had come from Almighty God and possessed all all power that everything was given into my hands, would I really act this way? Is this what I would do? Or I would be like, okay, we're going to change a few things here. 
you know, we're going to fix some stuff. We're going to make things a little more comfortable for me, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I would be like, let's just switch some stuff up here. Let's make some changes. I want there to be no lines at any drive through ever. I want people just to hand me what I want as soon as I pull up. I want every restaurant everywhere to know exactly what I want. I want a table reserved for me. It would just, I would consume my time with making preparations for my own comfort if I had complete and absolute power, right? Think about what Jesus does when he is given complete and absolute and utter control and authority over everything. Knowing exactly who he is, he says, this position, this office ought to be used to serve others. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? The, the book of Hebrews says that he is the, the exact imprint of God's likeness, which means this, that if God the Father came down right now in a human body and was here at this worship service, you know what he would do? He would serve. Isn't that amazing? Because I kind of feel like I would be like, hey, I have an idea. How about you preach? Right? How about, how about you do stuff? How about you run everything and give us the plan and tell us exactly what to do? No, he would serve. That's what Jesus did because that is his nature. He had a right view of himself. The scriptures say in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. It's a reminder to, to focus and to understand who we are and to know who we are and to know our identity and our limits and our, our weaknesses. And so we need, as believers, to think, Paul says, with sober judgment. We need to take an honest look at ourselves, an honest assessment, and say, where am I not yet finished or fully grown? What is God saying to me that I'm doubting? What, what, is, what are truths of the scripture that I'm like, yes, I believe this kind of, but not enough to put into practice in my life? We need to think about ourselves with sober judgment, and we need to do that according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. As a new believer, there are things that you need to come to grips with and to think through and to understand, things like the authority of this book. Things like the sonship of Christ. Things like the fact that you've been given righteousness. And that is the kind of stuff that you need to embrace and to think through and to believe when you're, when you're, when you're new at this. Because the measure of faith that you've been assigned is smaller. But as time passes and we have greater and more difficult experiences, we may be presented with a time of prolonged, difficult suffering or a very hard assignment in life or a demanding job or a difficult experience with, with family. And we need to think about ourselves with sober judgment in those experiences and say, who am I and what is my role and what am I created for other than just saying, God is another feature or piece in my life that is designed to make my life comfortable and to give me peace. That's the great American temptation, I believe. And so we need to ask ourselves, who am I? What is my identity and what is my purpose? As for me, I've worked it down to five roles. Five? I just have to count because I added a couple things a few years ago and I've thrown them out. Child of God, husband, father, son, pastor. That's me. That's me. That's who I am. In each of those areas, what is my mission? We need to ask ourselves, what are we passionate about? What do we value and what are our gifts? Each and every one of us needs to come to terms with this because we're different and we're distinct. 
right? If, if you take your entire set of Legos, right, and you're like the only Legos that are worth building with are the ones that are only one wide and four long and you throw all the rest of them away, I guarantee you Legos will get real boring real fast. God has composed the church of people of all ages, people of all backgrounds, people of all life experience, and people with different passions and giftings, and you are one of them, and you are distinct and different. And so you need to ask yourself, okay, I have a mission as a Christian, as a husband or wife, as a father or mother, as a son or daughter, and then I have a mission in my occupation. And I've been given a big mission by God to make disciples, to love him, to love others. So then what am I passionate about? What do I value? And what you value if you're doing it, it may look different. It may shape your life differently. Maybe you value rescuing. Maybe you value renewing. Maybe you value healing or training or teaching. Whatever you value is going is to wind you up in a different place. Does that make sense? You might value rescuing, and that's going to put you over at a place like Epoch, ministering, you know, where they're, where they're trying to find kids who are at risk and say, hey, we're going to give you an opportunity for a better future. And if you love that, if that's what you're after, then run after it. What gifts have you been given? Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. We need to be aware of our strengths and our weaknesses. My friend Keith Hammer says that often your weaknesses can be the dark side of your strengths. And so there are things that I've had to learn about myself and learn, okay, I am, I am I'm passionate and I get excited about stuff. But that means that sometimes when things don't work out according to my plans, I don't, I don't just say, oh, well, you know, back to the drawing board as if I'm some kind of like cartoony architect, right? Because I'm, I'm passionate about it and because I get so excited and I throw myself into things, when things don't work out, it's like, it's not back to the drawing board, it's like into the sinkhole, you know? And I gotta, I gotta navigate my way out of it. That's the dark side of strength. Know who you are. So it's important for me to have a spouse who says, you got to go back to it. <laughs> got to get back at what you're doing. You know, don't give up. Because there are times where I'm just like, what's the point? You know? She'll say, this is the point. You have to know yourself. We need all of the parts in the body, but all of the parts need to know who they are and what they are for. Okay, now if you're like, how do I do that? Let me make a little advertisement here. We're going to talk about this in adult Bible study on Sunday morning, probably starting in about two weeks. So come. Passion, gifts, strengths, all of these things. Because God has called us for a particular mission, and everybody needs to know who they are and what they are called to do. Now, Paul moves on after talking about the individual and saying, think about yourself soberly and know yourself and don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. He says, understand then that the many form the one and the one is not the many and the ones are required for the many. Have a proper perspective on yourself and then a proper perspective on everyone else. Then he says this in verse 4. As in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, through many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. There are different kinds of members. We've got fingers and ears and eyes and a nose. And I'll be honest, I don't think about my nose a whole lot. But man, I'd be in trouble reading without it, right? These glasses would fall right off my face. When it stuffs up and I can't smell anything, you know, I'm like, uh, when, it, when, the, when the pressure begins, right? When I, when, I, when I smell smoke and I'm like, something's in the oven, you know, burning that I need to get at. You left the pizza in too long, Keith, right? You know? That is when the nose suddenly feels useful. But honestly, I don't think about it 
a whole lot. Do you? Probably thinking about it right now, right? <laughs> we need all of the different members. I had a, a, a pastor friend who was a staunch uh, defender of the idea that God created the body as we all ought to be, and he went in to have his... Um, I think he, he went in to have a, a, a small operation on something in, in his intestine, and the doctor said, while we're in there, we'll just take out your appendix. And he said, no, I'll take out my appendix. And the doctor's like, why, it's useless. He says, you say it's useless. You have no idea what it's for. Don't take it out. God put it in there, was what he said. I'll take it out when I need to have it taken out. All the members do not have the same function but we need those members, right? If you have ever had an experience where you were unable to use your arm or you broke a leg or your neck is hurting or something and suddenly some function that was normal is not there, you realize exactly how much you depended on that as normal. The human body is a diverse unity. It's all these unique parts knitted together, and every cell, organ, fluid, part does something important. But they don't all do the same thing, but they make up who we are. The body of Christ is the same way. We have many members, but we don't all have the same function. But we, who are many and diverse, the scripture says that we are one body in Christ, that we are his presence, his actors on earth, right? What does Ephesians 2.10 say? We, in the plural, are his workmanship, created for good works in Christ, which he has prepared beforehand for us. Now, it's true that it's relevant in the singular. God chose you and called you and created good works for you, which he prepared for you. But he says it, understanding that we are a body and we are together and we are an us, right? We need each other. And so what he says here is that each person, though we have different gifts, according to the grace that's been given to us, let us use them. And so he speaks here about several gifts. He says, if you've been gifted with prophecy, then do it in proportion to your faith, right? What he's talking about here is that we're to, to speak with experience or speak from our experience with God. There are some people who have this ability to communicate and to communicate well, and when they speak, they can speak to the emotional center of people and move them to the core, right? Maybe they don't have a whole lot of life experience. And so when they say stuff, they say all kinds of random, useless, weird stuff. There have been a lot of young preachers that I've talked to who are really good at drawing a crowd and they're really good at, at pulling together people, but you got to say to them, look, you got to give them something worth listening to, not just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. The reason they're doing what they're doing is they don't have a deep well of experience with God's word or a deep well of, of life experience with, with God. I can't tell you how many times I've told people about the fact that, that we, when we were ready to, to leave to go to seminary, we, we decided we were going to give up our car. And we were young and scared, like, we're going to give up this car. We don't have an alternate car. We were kind of poor at the moment. We were like, we don't know how we're going to replace that car. We felt like it was the right thing to do. And somebody walked up to us at a picnic and said, would you be offended if I gave you our old paint peeling, like big giant boat, yeah, like wood on the side station wagon? And we were like offended. We would love it. And we loved that car. And it took us back and forth from South Carolina dozens, dozens of times and died like six months after seminary ended. I'll tell people that story and I'll say, I don't know what God's going to do in your life, but I know he can be trusted. Why? Because there was a faith experience there. And I can say, I know it's going to work out. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know it's going to work out and I know it's going to be for 
good. Paul says here, if we have been given the gift of service, we're to exercise that according to the grace given to us and we're to use it in service. Maybe, maybe you see things, right? You're like, oh, that's an opportunity to serve. That person needs help. That's an opportunity to serve. That person needs help. Maybe you have the gift of service. And then you're like, man, somebody should serve them. Paul says here, if you've been given the gift of service, then you're supposed to use it in service, right? Act, because that's what you've been created for. What is amazing to me as, as I've gone through life is how many people in so many different places, so many different life experiences or stages, they're waiting for someone to tell them what to do. And they're just waiting, sitting on the bench, sitting on the sidelines, and it's like, just do something. It's amazing how many people will just move out of your way if you speak confidently and act like you know what you're doing. It's true. And so don't necessarily wait for permission to live out the will of God or your gifting. If you have been given a gift of service, then serve. If you've been given the gift of teaching, then go and teach. I mean, honestly, when, when the, the kids from crew call, and they always call like, and ask me to come the first or second night of the, uh, the, the new semester, you know, they call and they're like, we were wondering if maybe you'd like to come and to, to teach. And I'm like, are you kidding? Of course I'll come. I'm, I'm so thrilled that you've asked me to come again because sometimes I, I get in there and I, I preach and I talk about sin and I you know, talk about righteousness and I say a bunch of stuff that I think that some of them have probably never heard and I think that's it. They're never going to invite me back. And then they call and they're like, can you come and teach? I'm like, of course. Because it's what I think God has gifted me to do. If you've been gifted with exhortation, the ability to speak to others and say, this is what I see in you, this is what you're called to, this is what you ought to do, then use it in exhorting. Here's the dark side of the gift of exhortation, right? If the gift of exhortation is to say to someone, hey, here's the direction you're going, you ought to be going this direction instead. How about you change the course of your life? Follow Christ, change this bad pattern, embrace this good pattern, go this way, right? What's the danger of that? The danger is that you would just hold back and not exhort and use your ability to see what needs to be exhorted and never share it, right? Which means what? You're just sitting in a seat of judgment. You're just looking at people and assessing them and saying, see, they're going the wrong way. See, they're messing up. See, they're not doing that right. Someone should really grab hold of them and tell them the way that they should be living, the way that they should be serving, the way that they should be following. Man, look at, look at all that talent. It would be amazing if somebody would say to them, you should use that in this way. If, if you see it, God's calling you to act on it because you're part of the body. Think of how crazy it would be if your kidneys were like, man, somebody should really filter all this junk out of the, out of the body. You know, maybe somebody will come along and start doing that. You know, that's your function, kidney. Get back to work. If you've been given the gift of giving, then it ought to be uh, demonstrated in your generosity, it says, the one who contributes in generosity, right? Not like, uh, I guess God's given me all this stuff to give away, right? I guess maybe I'll put some here and some there. No, it ought to be like, hey, uh, let me cultivate a life of engagement. The one who leads with zeal, if you've been gifted with the gift of leadership and you've been put in a place where you have positional control over something or you have authority or you have knowledge or you have influence, right? You're the kind of person that when you get into an office setting, people start asking you your opinion all the time. Maybe that's because you have the gift of leadership and people are looking at you and saying, they've got answers, they've got directions, they've got, if you're gonna lead, if you've got that gift, then lead with zeal. Paul says, take that gift and run with it and lead. Do it with excitement and energy. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Have you ever been on the receiving end of someone's kindness? 
they were grouchy about it. It kind of makes you feel like, oh, you know, if you're serving and you're helping, do it with cheer and not with gloominess. Paul is saying here that every single person who's been entrusted with a gift needs to use it according to the proportion of their faith. Now, this is why Legos come in several different kinds of sets, right? There's like the beginner set that's got like four blocks in it, right? You know, and you give it to this little tiny kid and he's like, click, click, click. And you're like, you built a Lego set, right? Eh, kind of. I'm not going to turn around and call this kid a master builder. But then, you know, they, they have these giant kits. They're like $300 now, right? You know, and it's a pirate ship or a whatever, you know, or who knows what it is. And, and you open that box and there's like 50 packets of bricks and you unload it all and there's 600 pieces and nine hours later they have produced the Millennium Falcon or something. You're like, whoa, look at that. There are different levels of, of advancement. There are different stages of growth. And there are things that, that have to be done. We have to say, what are my gifts and what am I called to do? And then begin to put them into practice and then shape and grow as God leads us to, to different places to use those gifts. And so we need to be super careful that we don't just try something and say, well, maybe that's not my gifting because you weren't amazingly good at it the first time you tried. Right? The dark side of having a teaching gift or a serving gift or a leading gift or a mercy gift is, is you, might, you might say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dip my toe in here. I'm going to try to help some people. And then when you help them, they're not grateful. And you're like, forget that. I'm not doing that anymore. Well, you know, maybe you need to learn what it's like to serve. Jesus served the disciples and they were a mess. You may try leading because you feel called to lead and you may mess something up dramatically. And you need to try again. Paul says this, and I think this is what... Uh, no, no, I'm not going to go there. Paul says, you are the body of Christ and you are individually members of it. The body needs all of our different passions, values, desires, hopes, focuses in order to accomplish the mission which God has called for all of us. We should have the same heart as a church, as a people of God. Our heart ought to be consistent with his commandments, right? To make disciples. That is the redemptive mission of the church. But we ought to also have the same focus on relationships, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But you know what? Somebody might be passionate about building ramps or doing medical work in foreign countries or going and teaching in other countries or working here with at-risk kids. And it ought not to be, let's stop doing one thing and doing the other, but instead saying, hey, use your gifts and do something. Find other people who are passionate about that and do that with them. Use what's been given to you with the measure of faith that you've been given because you are a part of what God is doing. And if you vanish, we lose your contribution to the whole of what God is doing with us. What does Jesus judge? Sorry, not Jesus. A man who went on a journey, right? He gives gifts to his disciples, to his, to his servants. He gives five talents or pieces of gold to the one and two to the other and one to the to the third guy you know it's not going to work out well for him right you know the, the the guy who got five he goes and he invests it and he uses it and the master comes back and says what did you do and he's like hey i took the five and i turned it into ten and he's like you're awesome you know cds don't even yield that much even in their heyday, you know, let's take you and we'll put you over 10 cities. I'm going to put you in charge of some big stuff, right? Hey, I gave you two, you know, you're not as smart as Mr. Five here, you know, or Nate doesn't actually say that. But, but so, then, so then the guy who got two says, I've earned two more. And he says, awesome, I'll put you over two cities. Go ahead, you know, enter into joy. What is the, the last guy with the one? He says, he said, man, I knew you were going to judge me harshly and cruelly. And so I took your one and I wrapped it in a handkerchief and I buried it in a coffee can in my backyard. Look, it's here. It's yours. It's still shiny and new. You can have it back. And he said, 
calls that guy wicked and faithless. Should have done something with him. But what's the point here? The point is God has entrusted something to each of us. He created you, uniquely you, not that you would compare yourselves to others, but that you would say, in relation to others, what can I bring to the family? What is it that I bring? What is it that I'm passionate about? What do I see? What have I been created for? And then thinking of yourself humbly, serving others, reaching to them and saying, how do we fulfill the mission together? We then use our gifts to further God's mission, taking the gospel to the nations, loving him and loving one another. pray that we would take this to heart and see each other as incredibly valuable even though we are often incredibly different from one another let's pray father i thank you for the opportunity uh, to share this word i thank you uh, for the joy that uh, that somebody put into the world when they invented legos and i thank you for the analogy that you've given us lord that that we are individually members of one another and we are being built by you into a kingdom. You have a plan, you have a mission, and you've created all of us with these different passions and goals and dreams and desires and things that excite us and things that we, that we weep over and that we care for. Father, I pray that, that we would not seek as individuals to say one size must fit all and, and the church must go only in this direction or it can only do this or only do that. Instead, I pray that we would look with delight at other believers and as, as other believers are living out their faith, say, that is good. And we would encourage them and be excited for them even as we go about the things that you've called us to do. May we be a diverse unity like our own bodies, different members, different functions, all living out the same mission together for your glory. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you and who doesn't feel like they're, they're part of your body and doesn't know that they have been redeemed by you, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in you for the forgiveness of their sins and that they would trust you for their righteousness. Father, we pray that, that you would draw them into your body by your grace. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your kindness to us as a church family. And we pray that you'd help us to live our mission by your grace, for your glory, and for our collective joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.